Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of Cathedral of Praise, and thank you so much for allowing us to sit down and share with you the Word. Normally, I'm at the house, but this morning I'm in the office, and we're trying to use the better computer until I figure out, but I do think I have figured out my problem. I think I'm going to have to reinstall not the touch drivers, but the screen drivers from my Surface Studio. So I'll be working on that later on and see if I can get that all working. So thank you. Some of you have been sending me ideas and ideas and ideas, but so thank you. I'm crowdsourcing solutions right now to sound like a young person. But thank you for letting us be a part of your life today. In just a moment, we're going to have one of the young people. Now, I didn't ask the young people to memorize. I asked the young people to find some place outdoors. And I've been previewing some of them with Sister Bev late at night. And, and <laughs> some of the video shots are very much young people. So we really enjoy it. Young people, thank you for helping out. Let's go. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the other, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalm 91 As we go to prayer today, we've been praying for people with cancer, but today I want to pray specifically for people with heart conditions. One of the things that people are concerned about is heart attacks in the middle of COVID-19, people that have had heart attacks in the past. Folks, you don't need to be afraid. Jesus is your healer. God is the strength of your heart. So let's pray for people with heart issues right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we don't want to see any more strokes. We don't want to see any more heart attacks. Father, we ask in Jesus' name, be the strength of the heart of your sons and daughters. Father, for those that have had issues before, your word says that you are Jehovah Rapha, the God that restores to original condition. Restore these hearts to original condition, Father. They say the heart muscle can't come back alive again, but God, you're the God of life. Let that heart muscle come back alive again and be strong again in Jesus' name. 
Father, let healing flow into all of these arteries that everything opens and is flexible and clear. And no cloggage and no blockage in the name of Jesus and nothing to be knocked loose to cause strokes. Father, we ask in Jesus' name, keep all the arteries, keep all the veins, keep all that heart muscle strong in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it. Let there be no fear in the hearts of your people. And Lord, today we also pray for the frontliners. Their job doesn't get any easier. It gets more difficult every day. Father, we ask in Jesus' name, strengthen them in their inner being. Let their souls be strong, Father, that whatever they see, that whatever they go through, Father, their strength, their strength, there's not intimidation, there's not weakness, there's not fear, there's not a desire to give up in discouragement. Let there be strength in their souls, Father, far beyond their years, far beyond their years. And Father, keep them healthy and strong. You said that your angels would be given charge concerning us to guard us in all our ways. Whatever ways they walk in, Father, wherever they go in the hospitals, let your protection be upon their lives. And Father, we pray for all of our people right now. Let the favor of God flow upon them. Father, let the favor of God flow upon them that the nations can see the reality of God. Father, for your people, let those jobs be saved, Father. No layoffs. For your people, Father, let there be promotion. For your people, Father, let there be blessing on all the work of their hands. For your people, Father, let their businesses thrive and flourish. You give them new and creative ideas in this crazy world that we live in right now. Let the favor of God flow to all of your people. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Some beautiful truth here, and I have to be careful or I'll spend the whole time on it today and never get to Ecclesiastes. He said, I want to remind you, brothers. There, there, there are reminders that need to be done for the, for the brothers, all right? There are reminders that need to be done. There are things that as a pastor you have to remind the people of God of. He said, I want to remind you of the gospel. Now, he said, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, notice, there's four truths of the gospel. I preached it to you, you received it, you stand in it, by which you are being saved. Salvation is a, you are saved and you are being saved. So salvation is finished and continuous. <laughs> now, we'd have to preach for an hour on that one, okay? But notice, if you hold fast to the word. Now, before you think that that's a strange thought, tie that in to John chapter 8. Jesus said, you are my disciples. Not he, now, he's talking to people who believe in him. He said, to those who believed in him, he said, if you hold fast to my word, if you hold fast to my word, then you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And that's how you are a disciple. Now, so in other words, holding fast to the word of God is a very important part of this continuous salvation. For I delivered to you as of first importance ah, what I also received. So Paul said, I didn't make this up. He said, I received this. Paul said, I received the gospel. He said, of first importance, number one, Christ died for our sins in that he was buried. So he died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So he said, now listen, I want you to understand things of first importance. He said, you want to understand the things of first importance of the gospel. Jesus died Jesus was buried, Jesus was raised, and Jesus appeared. Those are the things of first importance. This is what must be presented with the gospel. So in other words, the appeared shows the reality of the resurrection. Okay? Th this is not a, a spiritual resurrection. This is a literal, physical resurrection. He appeared to us. Verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So this is Paul's personal thoughts. Paul's not living in guilt and shame there, but Paul never forgot what he did. He said, I'm the least of the apostles. He didn't say I'm the greatest. Now that, that's fascinating to me because people always wanted to compare Paul with others. Paul said, I'm the least. He never tried to say, I'm the greatest apostle, though he did more than any of the other 12. But Paul never tried to compare himself. He said, I'm the least. 
He said, and the reason I'm the least is because of what I did in the early days. I persecuted the church of God. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though not I, but the grace of God that was in me. All right, so let's talk about a grace-made man. A grace-made man, his grace has an effect. So he receives grace. Grace impacts. And the impact of that grace, hard work. I worked harder than any of them, though not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Now, again, people want to talk around grace today, and they act like grace means we don't have to do anything. You show me a pastor who is hardworking, and I'll show you somebody who really believes in grace. You show me a Juan Tamada Pastor, and I will show you a pastor who really has no understanding of grace. Because when you have received grace, grace has an impact. It has an effect upon your life. And the effect in Paul's life, I worked harder than them all. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Okay, he said, that it doesn't matter. The, the thing that's important is that you believed. He said, whether it was I or they, we preached and you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Now, where did this come from? It came from the Sadducees. They did not believe in a resurrection. So you have Sadducees who have gotten born again and who are impacting the church, or Sadducees who have taught people who have now gotten born again, and they brought that doctrine with them. So the Sadducees were very against the resurrection. Now, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead, but the Sadducees did not. So this is old heresies. Now, one of the things that you just have to learn in life is that heresies don't go away. False doctrines, they, they come in different packages. They may be you know, wrapped up with a nice little bow, or they may look pretty ugly, but, but heresies are heresies. He said, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ was raised. And the Sadducees would say, amen, because they never believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Folks, there is no salvation without the resurrection. There is none. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. He said, for the dead are not raised, and not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. No salvation without the resurrection. Now, let me just park here for just a minute, because it's become very popular with young men and young women that have been to some seminaries, they come out and they say, oh, we believe in the resurrection, when they're questioned by, say, an interview committee before they become the pastor of a church. But when you sit down and you ask them detailed questions, you know, do you believe in a physical, literal resurrection from the dead, that the physical body of Jesus was raised from the dead? Then you get the truth. Some will say they believe in a spiritual resurrection. Some will say they, they say they will believe in a metaphysical resurrection. They've got lots of different things.
But I, I've looked at young pastors and said, now listen, I know what you learned in seminary, but straight talk. You don't believe in the literal, physical resurrection of Jesus. No. I believe in the, a spiritual resurrection. So you believe his body decayed and was eaten by worms. Well, yeah. And I said, then you're not going to heaven. Now, now this is straight talk, folks. There are things that you have to believe about the gospel. These are these things of first importance, okay? If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It doesn't matter what you believe. Your faith is futile. It's, it's in vain. It's meaningless. And you're still in your sins. See, the death of Jesus on the cross took care of our punishment. The physical, literal resurrection of Jesus took care of giving us a new life. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If it is only in this life that we have hoped in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. That's a nice way of saying died, okay? For as by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. All right, so this is the first Adam and the second Adam. Now, this is a great study to do in the Bible where you trace the first Adam and the second Adam. What happened in the first Adam and what happened in the second Adam. Basically, the concept of first and second Adam is Jesus came as the second Adam. He was fully man and he was fully God. Okay, he... He was not born under the bondage of sin. He was not born controlled by sin. He was not born in sin because in Adam we've all sinned. He is born of God and of man. So he stood as the second Adam. That's why the temptation in the wilderness was so important. Sin came by one. Righteousness came by the other. Death came by one. Life came by the other. Second Adam. But each in his order. Christ is the first fruits. He's the first one to rise from the dead. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. At his coming. This is what we would call the rapture. At his coming, all of our dead bodies shall come back. I sometimes talk about there'll be a traffic jam in Ermita as the uh, columbarium empties out. Okay, and, and I say that as a joke, but you understand what I mean. When Jesus comes back, those who belong to Christ... Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority, every power. Jesus will destroy all demon power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now remember, death is separation from God. Verse 27, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Now notice all things. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted. He is not part of this. God the Father is not part of this, who put all things in subjection under him. And when all things are subjected to him, all things, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So all things are put under the Son. And then the Son will come under the Father. Now don't ask me to explain the Trinity here. There, but there is authority structures within the Trinity. Then that God may be all in all. 
All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Start to crumble. I'm sensing troubles in my eyes. I won't hold it back. I can't keep it in. The song is restored and we'll sing it again. Come on and raise the roof with a shout. Find a praise and let it out. We got a reason to rejoice. Make some noise. Yeah, yeah. Now I don't worry, but worry, no. Since peace has taken its place, my life has turned to amazing. Since I've encountered His grace, His joy that I found has given me. His love brought a song and the reason is there. Come on and raise the roof with a shout. Find a praise and let it out. We got a reason to rejoice. So let's get joyful and make some noise. Let's make some Trumpets and cymbals. Go ahead and pray. Yeah, but I praise this way. Join in with Jerome and dancing. And let your voices sound. Come on and raise the roof with a shout. Raise the roof with a shout. Our Old Testament passage today picks up with Ecclesiastes chapter 8, beginning with verse 2. Now, I'm going to read you from the New Living Translation today. The last few days reading from the, the ESV, I found the language a little stilted, and you weren't getting what it was saying. There's some beautiful truth there, and I don't want to spend my time translating. I'd rather spend my time talking to you about the truth. So let me just read it to you from the New Living Translation today. 
Verse 2. Obey the king, since you vowed to the Lord that you would. Okay, everybody took a on, an oath of loyalty to the king in those days. Don't try to avoid doing your duty. And don't stand with those who plot evil. For the king can do whatever he wants. All right, so don't avoid doing your responsibilities as a citizen. Number two, don't stand with those who plot evil, people who want to do revolutions. He said, for the king can do whatever he wants. His command is backed by great power. No one can resist or question it. Those who obey him will not be punished. Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. For there is a time and a way for everything, even when a person is in trouble. Now notice the incredible wisdom here. And he's speaking as the king who had this great power. He said, you know, I know that there's times that I've said things that weren't right. Because obviously he had done a lot of things wrong in that middle section of his life. He said, but now listen. He said, those who are wise. He said, if you're wise, even when people in authority won't let you do what is right. If you're wise, you will find a time and you will find a way to do what is right. For there is a time and a way for everything, even when a person is in trouble. It's like with water baptism. We've not water baptized anybody since the first part of March. And we've got all these people who want to be water baptized. Now, we don't want to violate any things that the government has asked us to do. So we sit down with people from the Department of Health and we sit down with our doctors and nurses and stuff and say, how can we do this in a very safe way? Still under the, the 10 people limit, and not bringing any danger to anybody. And so they show us how to do it. You see, folks, you, you don't always have to fight to do things. If you're wise, you can find a time and you can find a way to do what is right. Now, th there's incredible, incredible, incredible wisdom in that statement. Rather than fighting the powers that be, if you have wisdom, you can find the time and the way to do what is right. Verse 7. Indeed, how can people avoid what they don't know is going to happen? None of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. There is no escaping that obligation, that dark battle. And in the face of death, wickedness will certainly not rescue the wicked. Wickedness will not rescue the wicked. Now, he said, listen, everybody's going to die. And he said, none of us, and you just need to get a hold of that, None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. There is going to come a day to die. And none of us can prevent that. He says, so listen, people who are wicked and they have lots of money, and, you know, forgive me, Solomon had his wickedness and he had a lot of money. It couldn't rescue him from the, from the day of his death. I have thought deeply about all that goes on here under the sun, where people have the power to hurt each other. I have seen wicked people buried with honor. Yet they were the very ones who frequented the temple and are now praised in the same city where they committed these crimes. He said, he said, would you look at that? He said, would you look at wicked people who hurt people, buried with honor, and now they're praised. And they always went to the temple. They went to church. He said, would you look at this? He said, when a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it is safe to do wrong. You wonder why, you know, 
when people start lightening up and, you know, not arresting people and not putting people in jail for doing wrong, when, when crime is not punished quickly, people feel it's safe. It's a calculated risk. It's safe to do wrong. Even though a person sins a hundred times and still lives a long time, I know that those who fear the Lord, I know that those who respect God will be better off. The wicked will not prosper, for they do not fear God. Their days will never grow long like the evening shadows. And this is not all the meaningless in our world. In this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked. And wicked people are often treated as though they are good. He said, this is meaningless. <laughs> you know, sometimes you, you look, and, and I've watched this with my own eyes. Wicked people who, who, who are just, you know, forgive me, they're, they're, they're perverts. They're, they're, and they're treated as if they're wonderful and they're honored and they're celebrated. And good people are treated as though they're the wicked people. You see this in life. He said, so I recommend having fun. <laughs> he said, let me give you my recommendation. He said, I recommend having fun because there's nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. That way they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work that God gives them under the sun. Now remember earlier he said, God has to give us the ability to enjoy our hard work. So um, Solomon says, hey, you know what? I've done all kinds of sin. You know what? I've lived for God and I've done all kinds of sin. I've seen both sides of it. He says, so let me just give you a little piece of recommendation here. Have a little fun. <laughs> now, I can hear my, my friend in Australia laughing because he says, David, you need to enjoy the journey. And he, he likes to have fun. I like to work. But Solomon sits here and says, have some fun. Now, Pastor, that's really hard right now during COVID-19. Okay. In my search for wisdom and in my observation of people's burdens, people's burdens here on earth, I've discovered that there is ceaseless activity day and night. I realize that no one can discover everything God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything, no matter what they claim. He said, you know what? God is always working. God is always working. He said, no one can discover everything God is doing under the sun. He said, my goodness. God, God is moving. Chapter 9, verse 1. This too I carefully explored. Even though the actions of godly and wise people are in God's hands, no one knows whether God will show them favor. Did you hear that? No one knows. See, mercy and grace is God's decision. Now, he's got a lot of promises about that. The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous, wicked, good, or bad, ceremonially clean or unclean, religious or irreligious. Good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and people who make promises to God are like people that don't. He said, you know what? There are things that everybody goes through. It rains on everybody. It snows on everybody. It seems so wrong that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. He said, it seems so wrong. Already twisted by evil, people choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There is nothing ahead but death anyway. There is only hope for the living, 
and they say it is better to be a live dog than a dead lion. The living at least know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Whatever they did in their lifetime, loving, hating, envying, is all long gone. They no longer play a part in anything here on the earth. So go ahead, eat your food with joy, and drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this. Now, this is not getting drunk, folks. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. <laughs> in other words, take care of yourself. Have a little fun in life. Live happily with the woman you love. Through all the meaningless days of this life, God has given you under the sun. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. Now, again, he has 700 wives and 300 concubines. But he says, woman, singular. Wow. Maybe he began to realize something in his older age. He had too many wives. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life God has given you under the sun. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. Men, you should walk up to your wife today and say, Sweetheart, you are God's reward to my life. Because she is. Whatever you do, do well. For when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. All of that is over. I have observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. And the strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise somehow go, sometimes go hungry. The skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It is all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. Now listen to his discouragement. Again, we look around and we go, you know what, when it comes to unsafe people, now remember folks, we have the promises of God today, which makes us a very different situation. But when you look at unsafe people, th this is a very true statement. It's not the fastest runner that always wins the race. It's not the strongest warrior who always wins the battle. It's the person who has strategy. Sometimes you see wise people going hungry and skillful people aren't necessarily wealthy. And, you know, educated people, I've watched a lot of people that have really big educations. And you know what? They live in poverty. It's all by chance, being in the right place at the right time. For unsafe people, yeah. But for us, no. People can never predict when hard times can come. Like fish in a net or birds in a trap, people are caught, sudden, caught by sudden tragedy. Here is another bit of wisdom that has impressed me as I have watched the way our world works. There was a small town with only a few people, and a great king came with an army and besieged it. A poor, wise man knew how to save the town, so it was rescued. But afterwards, no one thought to thank him. <laughs> so there's no thank yous. Now remember, he's not talking about a Christian who's walking with God. He's talking a very different situation here. Even though wisdom is better than strength, those who are wise 
will be despised if they are poor. What they say will not be appreciated for long. Now, here's one of the great truths that always bugs me. How can you have a wise person's words despised? Kasit, no money. Kasit, he's poor. The world only believes wealth. How many times have you and I watched people who, forgive me, they had a lot of money but very little brains? You know what I'm talking about. They had a lot of money but very little brains. Maybe they had a lot of money because of the nation they grew up in. Maybe they have a lot of money because of an inheritance. Whatever. But they have a lot of money. Everybody wants to listen to people with money. What we have to learn to do is listen to people with wisdom. Better to hear the quiet words of a wise person than the shouts of a foolish king. Better to have wisdom than the weapons of war. But one sinner can destroy much that is good. One sinner. One, one fly in the perfume destroys everything. And he continues then. Chapter 10, verse 1. As dead flies cause even a bottle of perfume to shrink, so a little foolishness spoils great wisdom and honor. A little foolishness. Young pastors, please hear me. Y you, you, can, you can have the most incredible anointing and ministry, but a little foolishness will destroy everything that you've ever built. I've, I started preaching when I was 18 years old. I'm now 63. I've seen a lot of things in my life. A lot of things, to be honest, I wish I'd never seen. But this is one of those verses that young pastors, young leaders, young business people, you need to get a hold of. God can have an incredible anointing upon your life, but a little foolishness spoils everything. You've got to learn. Keep that dead fly out of your life. Keep that foolishness out of your life. A wise person chooses the right road. A fool takes the wrong one. All right, so life is choices. You can identify fools just by the way they walk down the street. <laughs> Eyes to see. You know, I have to be honest. I've done this before. When I got a hold of this verse, I've done this before. I've just stood there, I went to a conference and just watched people. And then after I watched them, I made notes. And then I went to talk to them. <laughs> you can tell a fool by the way they walk down the streets. If your boss is angry at you, don't quit. A quiet spirit can overcome even great mistakes. Now, I'm a boss. Yep, I'll get angry at people because... Not for mistakes, but for making the, keep making the same mistake again and again and again and again and again. And again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you say, hey, come on. At some point, do your job. But you notice a quiet spirit. Rather than running away, a quiet spirit can overcome even great mistakes. There is another evil I've seen under the sun. Kings and rulers make a grave mistake. When they give, here's a grave mistake. You can, Everybody say, big mistakes. Big mistakes. When they give great authority to foolish people and low positions to people of proven worth, 
I've made that mistake. I know that. Great authority to foolish people. Now, I haven't given low positions to people of great of proven worth, but I've made this mistake of giving great authority to foolish people. These are two great mistakes. You need to take people of proven worth and give them the high positions. And you take foolish people and give them the low positions where they can't hurt you as much. Now, notice it didn't say ability. It says attitudes, foolishness. I have seen servants riding horseback like princes and princes walking like servants. <laughs> I've seen foolish people driven in Mercedes-Benzes and princes taking taxis. I, I've watched this. I've, I've, I've seen things like this. I, I understand. I've, I've watched this happen in my life. When you dig a well, you might fall in. When you demolish an old wall, you could be bitten by a snake. When you work in a quarry, stones might fall and crush you. When you chop wood, there's danger with each stroke of your axe. So, all right, there are environmental dangers for each job. When you chop wood, there's danger with each stroke. Using a dull axe requires great strength to sharpen the blade. All right. Another translation of this would be um, sharpen your skill. Get good at doing something. The, the less skilled you are, the harder you have to work. Now, Howling Bauer. In preaching, when I was first year pastor 40-something years ago, it used to take me 40 hours to write one sermon. Now, today it takes me about 10 hours to write a good sermon, okay? But before, it was 40 hours. Now, yes, today we have computers and we have all kinds of things that will help do the sorting of scriptures and lay out all the concordance searches and all of the syntax searches and all of that. Yes, I understand that. But you, you have to also understand that the, the better you are at something, the more efficient you are at something. When I used to work uh, warehouses, stocking grocery stores, we, we had a, a razor knife with us that we used for opening cases. We didn't open the cases with our hands. That took too long. We just slit, slit, slit on three sides, and then we'd stamp all the, the, the prices on top with our stampers. Now, when that razor knife got dull, it, it was really hard to cut. It took a long time to open a box, but when that razor was new, zit, 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 it's all done. Please. Work on your abilities. The increase of ability is the way you increase efficiency. The increase of your ability increases your efficiency. There is value in wisdom. It helps you succeed. I like that. If a snake bites you before you charm it, what's the use of being a snake charmer? <laughs> so, great, you're a snake charmer. But if it bites you first, uh, <laughs> I won't even get into that one. Wise words bring approval, but fools are destroyed by their own words. Fools base their thoughts on foolish assumptions, so their conclusions will be wicked madness. All right, so their thoughts have a basis. Their conclusions will be wicked madness. And they chatter on and on. Now, here's how to recognize a fool. Recognize a fool. No one really knows what's going to happen. No one can predict the future. 
Nobody. Fools are so exhausted by a little work, they can't even find their way home. Here's another way to recognize a fool. <laughs> They're exhausted by a little work. <laughs> That's how you recognize a fool. What sorrow for a land ruled by a servant, the land whose leaders feast in the morning. Happy is a land whose king is a noble leader and whose leaders feast at proper time to gain strength for their work and not to get drunk. All right, now here's great leadership. All right, when a person is a servant who's never been trained in leadership, when they feast in the morning, they don't need it for their strength yet, but they, rather than outworking, they're feasting. Happy is the land whose king is a noble leader. He's been raised with noble thoughts. He feasts at the proper time for the purpose of strength for their work and not just to get drunk. Laziness leads to a sagging roof. Idleness leads to a leaky roof. How to recognize a lazy person. I often tell people in HR, before you hire somebody, go visit their house without telling them that you're coming. Just say, at some point, if we're going to consider you, we'll probably stop by your house and visit you. You know, don't, don't just, don't lie about it, but just, you know, just say, if we're going to consider you, probably one day we will just come by to visit you and see, visit the family. And when you do that, look around at the house. A lazy person doesn't maintain their roof. They have a leaky roof. Now, of all the parts of a house that need to be good, the roof needs to be good. If you want to realize a lazy person, see how they maintain what God has given them. Because they're going to treat your assets the same way. A party gives laughter, and wine gives happiness, and money gives everything. Never make light of the king even in your thoughts. Never make fun of the leaders. Never make fun of a leader, even in your thoughts. And don't make fun of the powerful, even in your own bedroom. For a little bird might deliver your message and tell them what you said. Learn in life to not make fun of powerful people. Just keep your mouth shut in Jesus' name. There's so much beautiful truth here. And I've tried not to preach my way through it. I've just wanted to read it and highlight a few things because that's what devotions is about. But read it through the ESV, read it through in the NLT, and begin to see the beauty of this truth and understand this is a man who was very discouraged. Here's a man who'd had great encounters with God and that God loved, but a man who'd allowed his heart to be pulled away so that he built one temple for God, one altar for God, and 700 demon altars, one for each of his wives. You wonder about all those high places around Jerusalem. Those were all built by Solomon. All those demon altars were built by Solomon. Then you get to the end of this book, and then you begin to understand. After Solomon had delved into all of his sin and searched out sin to learn, he discovered there's one thing needful. Fear God. Respect God. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.